Hey folks, there's a whole lot that doesn't get me too excited these days, but there's one thing I look forward to every year, and that's the Dixon Gun Show. If you live in the Northern California area this March, it would be worth heading out to Dixon for their gun show on the fairgrounds. There are over 175 different tables, folks. That's over 175 different vendors providing everything from collectibles, firearms, of course, ammunition, and many other trinkets and services. So on March 27th and 28th, be sure to head out to the Dixon Gun Show at the Dixon Fairgrounds. This show only comes around once a year, folks. And with the new presidential administration, you may not be able to procrastinate that new gun or accessory much longer. So this year on March 27th and 28th, be sure to make your way out to Dixon, California for the Dixon Gun Show. Check out DixonGunShow.com for more information. Hey folks, this is Disturbing the Peace Podcast. I'm your host, Brenton Hardy. Welcome to the program. I have two special guests joining us today, uh, Joe and Juan. Right? That's right. right. All right, all right. Joe and Juan, (laughs) if you're turning on Instagram and you're hoping to catch a show that had just three handsome dudes with beards, you found it. You got it, folks. You're here. You made it. Congratulations. Stay tuned with us. We have a lot to talk about today. But starting with... Who the hell are you guys, and what are you doing in my studio? <laughs> no, thanks for the invite. I'll go first, um, since I'm the older brother. My name's Joe Damaris. I'm here. I'm running for Vacaville City Council, uh, District 2. That's kind of the, the big reason I'm getting out there, trying to talk to people, um, get the message out, what I'm running for. So, originally from Southern California, um, just been moving around the world. I, live, I worked for the State Department for a long time, so... Lived in several countries with my family for about 10 years straight. Um, I was a police officer. I was in the Marines when I was a little bit younger. Uh, so finally settled down in Vacaville, man. We love it there. So, yeah. Cool. I mean, so you've done a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. Yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, it's good yeah. to have a diverse background, you know, and like just say, hey, like I know, I mean, granted, you're not going to go and understand everything people are going through, but it seems like you at least have enough background. You could you could relate to a lot of people in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, I think it's important um, to have that diversity. So for me, when I looked at folks who are on the city council right now, a lot of a lot of good people, a lot of Vacavillians, folks born and raised 40, mm-hmm. 30 plus years, right? And so for me, it's a little less experience, right, with Vacaville, but I have a lot more diversity of experiencing different places in the U.S., big cities, small cities. Um, backgrounds. I live in different countries, rich countries, poor countries, dangerous countries, safe countries. Mm-hmm. I think that type of diversity of experience gives you a really unique way of looking at problems and mm-hmm. kind of really making it relative to what's important. So when I when I, my views on public safety are not just shaped by experience in Vacaville, my views on public safety are shaped by views having lived in places where there is no police response to anything. No one's going to come when you call 911. So my type of how I value things is based on those type of uh, experiences. So I think it's important. Yeah, and Vacaville itself, it's a very diverse community. Mm-hmm. Okay, folks, if you're listening to the podcast, I mean, we, we do get listeners from all over the world. So if you're not familiar with Vacaville in Northern California, uh, this is a town that l- lies in between the Sacramento area and the Bay Area. Right, and they're they're right in between. And it's, it's like that pass-through town. For years and years, this was a town that people just drove through. You know, mm-hmm. but that's changed in the last 30 years or so. I mean, these guys started developing their businesses. They started developing uh, the outlets and the outlets is basically a giant outdoor mall. And I've known people like friends of friends who would come visit from other states, other countries and they're like, oh, we got to go to the outlets. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. we got to go shopping. You know, I heard they have a Merrill outlet or, or a Nike outlet or whatever, yeah. you know, and they want to go try these things out, especially from other countries. The Levi's outlet. Oh, man. Yeah. Like I've seen the tourist bus just stop in front of Levi's and just everyone just starts getting out and go straight into the store. I mean, oh. that's that's a big thing. So for a small town. A relatively small town. I mean, I grew up in a much smaller town, but a relatively small town. It's, it's a great city. You know, I lived there myself, and the law enforcement is great. Their 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 police agency is just a fantastic agency, at least in my opinion. Um, and, and it's been great. But now, you guys, I mean, I hate to use the term "ruffle some feathers," but Primo's Barbershop started ruffling feathers, for sure. For yeah, sure. I mean, so, that, that's where I come in a little bit. You know, um, <clears throat> I started Primo's Barbershops about four years ago, starting winters. I'm on Vacaville, Dixon, and Wairika now. Um, and my brother Joe is just, he's overseas, so he was a silent partner, more of an investor, mm-hmm. if you will. So I just ran it the way I ran it. Um, Joe's co- probably come on board the last uh, eight months and taken over like a more active co-ownership role. So, um, but you know, prior to um, being a barber and owning the barber shops, I was a Marine as well. I was a law enforcement officer as well. I mm-hmm. worked the corrections for a sheriff's department. A little bit of everything. Yep, CHP for about 10 years. Um, 
Then I got out and I got involved in the barbering world. And so everything that I do is, is I take it, um, ownership of it. Just like being a Marine, I'm very proud of that. I was very proud of being a law enforcement um, officer. I'm very proud of um, being a barber and owning a barber shop. And when the state uh, decided to shut down over and over and over again, I, I, I knew from, I, you know, just instinctively the way I felt was right away is this is going to be, this is going to be the state's way of um, deciding who's essential and who's not, and it's not going to be fair. And only one, one the small businesses are what's going to be killed, and people who have no, like, I mean, if I was, even if I was a carpenter, I would have more power, you know, like I'd be a part of a union, yeah. police organizations, they have unions, but barbers, we're all, we're all separate, we're all individuals, you know, and no one comes together, we don't have these multi-million dollar packs or anyone um, <clears throat> that we back politically so and you and you like it that way i mean that's why you become a small business owner right so you can be your own boss and so you can run your stuff your way right and to have someone i imagine to have someone come along and say well you're just not essential right well are we communists like since when did the government start deciding who's essential and who's not and that's exactly it you know like no one's going to tell me that i'm not allowed to feed my family no one's going to tell me that my barbers who work for me we didn't have anything coming there's no unemployment there was no ppe we're all um um you know, private businessmen, even within the barbershop, those guys rent chairs for me, and I'm not their boss. I'm just a landlord, and so I'm not. I'm not in anyone's. Um, I'm just not the guy that's going to tell people what they can do and what they can't do. And just like it's not the government's um, position to tell us that we can, whether we can work or not, I, you know, it's not mine either. So. So the opening and shutting down, I mean, I imagine that was really frustrating, right? How many times were you guys told you can open and then told you can shut down here in California? It was like four times, right? Yeah. It was like a total of four times. I mean, we 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 somewhat listened at first, and then once we realized it's, it wasn't, it was going to keep on happening, and it was going to get, it was going to be continuous as of May first. We just said no, we're not doing that anymore. We that's, announced it, and that's the thing. I think everyone at first, I think we were all listening, right? I mean, it, right. the idea of a virus is scary, mm-hmm. right? And I think we we're all like, yeah, sure. I mean, masks seem a bit silly, but if that's what I got to do to go in the Walmart, you know, that's what I'll have to do, right? Um, and I think we were all nervous about it, but I think as we started getting more data and more understanding about the way the virus works and stuff, like for my county, uh, I happen to be assigned to the coroner's office, so one of my duties is to count corona deaths. You know, when I saw the medical history and the age of these people and the stuff that was going on, I started thinking, I'm like, you know, this isn't this is the automatic death sentence that people were pretending it was. You know, it wasn't the, as serious. But the part I think that bothered me more than anything else was where was the individual accountability? Right. I mean, I understand the government warning us and saying, hey, this is out there. This is what's going on. But why can't we just run our business? You know, why can't we just live our lives? Why can't some people take more precautions than others and everyone just decide how they want to worry about it? I agree. The role of the government at that time should have been we have the top scientists. We have the top folks looking at this. Here's the information. Here's how you can take measures to protect yourself, your businesses, Mm -hmm. your kids. And we knew at that time, even back in May, June, whatever, like, okay, so cool. Kids are not dying by the millions because we didn't know at the beginning we were yeah, all wondering we, like we weren't sure what's the effect and so i think everybody took a few a little pause and like let's figure it out mm-hmm. once once we knew where it was headed that's when people started getting frustrated like okay so then but oh, wait these people are not essential these small businesses have to shut down but we can still go to walmart and just stand in line with people like that's when people started to say this is not something's up this is not being yeah i think the, <laughs> the hypocrisy is what really well, and did then, it and then as we went along, month after month after month, data started coming out. Oh, there's never been any outbreaks in any barbershop in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And in fact, there's been outbreaks where hundreds of people were contaminated at Walmarts and Costco and Target. But yet these guys are able to, you know, these companies are making trillions and trillions of dollars while us little businesses are told that, you know, I mean, I've got my, my license revoked. I've got my business establishment mm-hmm. license revoked. So technically speaking, I'm illegally barbering Um and meanwhile, Walmart and Amazon, right. they actually showed increases. They made trillions. Yeah. They yeah. Made trillions. Big, big businesses. Been I mean, there was, a, there was some sort of plan, and we weren't involved in the plan. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, I, I serve my country. I serve my state. I serve my community. Um, and for them to tell me that I'm, I wasn't essential and feeding my family wasn't, you know, a priority. Well, first off, I'm, I'm not looking for the government to pay my bills and to feed my family. I'm, I'm, I'm more than capable of doing that. So mm-hmm. no one was looking for a handout. I ne- we never applied for PPE. You know, not. I don't even think we could have, even if we wanted to. But yeah, that's why we weren't we weren't asking permission. We were just saying, hey, we're gonna continue to run our business, and we didn't kidnap anyone or push them to the door. Well, <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't hear some kicking and screaming from your trunk when yeah. you guys got here, but I wasn't gonna ask. 
Well, here's the other thing. I mean, you mentioned there was no outbreaks from barbershops and stuff like that. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, my former sister-in-law was a cosmetologist and, mm-hmm. you know, she had to do the state bar. She had to do all the testing certifications and stuff. And then she eventually she actually transitioned to teaching it. Um, but a lot of what they teach isn't just stylists and how to cut hair and stuff like that, but a lot of it's sanitation, right? Well, 90% of our 1,600 hours of, of training is sanitation. They don't, they could care less if we know how to cut hair. Honestly, like when you go and take your final test after you've done 10 months of full-time schooling and paid, you know, twenty thirty thousand $30,000 for your, for the ability just to take the test and you go in there and it's, it has nothing. They don't care if you can cut hair. They don't care if you can yeah. use shears. They don't care if you can blow dry the curl hair. They don't care. They just want to know that you're going to use 100% sanitation techniques during the, the, um, physical part of the test. And then the other part of the test, it's like 65 questions and they're all, they're all about bloodborne pathogens, how to stop the spread of disease, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So honestly, like there's, the state doesn't care one iota how we cut hair. They only care about how sanitary we are. So then we're we're licensed by the state with the top, like, more hours than even when I became a cop. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a longer school than when I was a police officer. And and uh, the state certified us. And so for them to tell us that we weren't essential and that they had no faith in our in what they taught us, well, that just seemed like a double, a double negative. Yep. Folks, have you heard that noise? My producer got clumsy and dropped something. <laughs> Rooster! Did you stop messing around? We call him the rooster. We got a stretch and rooster for obvious reasons. <laughs> exactly, Guile. <Yeah. laughs> so yeah, I think there's some people in the community that are, are upset. There's some people in the community that think we're heroes. Um, You're my hero. We're not. not we're definitely not saying that COVID's not real. We're not saying that. We're not saying don't wear a mask. We're just saying that. I mean, we just choose our the way we are going to do things, and everyone has a freedom to choose how they want to do it, and. Um, but yeah, I mean, if that ruffles a couple feathers, you know, they're not. No one's paying my bills. Yeah, and you know what? I think you nailed it on the head right there. Choice, right? Right? Yeah. Like I'm young, I'm healthy, I don't have a compromised immune system, I don't have asthma, I don't have any of these things. You know, why do I have to be quarantined? Right. Right. Even if I got sick, I'd get over it. Okay. We actually mentioned my sister. You knew my sister. You know my sister and stuff. Uh, my sister tested positive and never showed a symptom. Right. She was totally asymptomatic. Her husband got sick and he had a fever for about a day and that was it. Her uh, stepdaughter got sick. You know, she she felt bad for a day. That was it. Her two little boys, they just got done with the road trip, got home, in the car together, cuddling, kissing mom, whatever it was, never got sick, never showed a symptom, never tested positive. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's just and that's weird. The, and then that's what, another thing my brother's putting, like, you know, opening up our schools, not letting our kids play sports. It's just, it's absurd. It's absurd. I mean, we know enough about this disease. We've studied it harder <laughs> than anything been studied before. We have a vaccine in warp speed time I'm doing that name but like there's been so much attention we know who it affects we know who it doesn't so there's the fact that schools are closed kids can't play sports in California is like it's a joke it's yeah a joke. and again it came down to choice like I, I said the same thing I was like look I, I have multiple kids in my house or I'm a foster parent so I'm like one kid was doing very well studying at home you know she was doing great the other kids were struggling and so I was like okay let's open up because my kids that are struggling need to be back in school yep. the one that was doing very well stay home you know, and just, just to have that choice, that option, you know, I get it. If you have a kid who has a compromised immune system, asthma, they would struggle, fine, keep that kid yeah. home. I'm not asking you to send that kid to school. But the people who aren't at risk, well, let us decide what's best for us. And there's teachers who want to get back to school. There's teachers who maybe because they're compromised or their family members are compromised, they don't. So there's going to be there's going to be teachers for both types of students. Mm-hmm. There's going to be kids who want to stay home. There's teachers who can work for them distance education. But we got to get them back into school, man. The damage that we're doing to them over the next decade, two decades, that yeah. we don't even know about yet, it's done already. We're just making it worse. And well, so, just, like, it's the fact that these unions are kind of getting involved and keeping these schools closed, it's it's mind-boggling to me. Yeah, and um, I was, I've was i been reading a lot about the suicide rates, the, the increase of attempts, uh, kids, oh, yeah. uh, kids talking about stuff, and it's very sad to see it. I mean, we, we had a whole senior class not be able to have a prom, not be able to cross the stage. I mean, those are great memories for me. You know, and to have a whole generation that won't ever have those memories. I mean, that's hard to hear. That's hard. Oh, yeah. that's and there's kids, with, there's kids with autism. I have a son who's on the spectrum. There's kids with other types of learning disabilities. Those, some of those kids don't want to go to school because they don't like that interaction. They don't want it, mm-hmm. right? They need it. They need to be back in yeah. school. They need to have that face-to-face. They need to kind of experience some of that stuff that they will not do on their own because it, it prepares them for the real world, and they're just not getting it. And so 
trying to catch up. They're, they're losing so much. It's, it's really sad. Well, I, I think, too, we got to remember, we're in California. All other 49 states are open. Kids are playing school. You know, like, yeah. parents are going as far as sending their high school age sports kids over to Arizona and, and Utah to play football. So just so... Mm-hmm. They can be, you know, in the running for scholarships. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're we're the we're the most left state and we're the most closed state, and you know, it goes yeah. back to our leadership. In my opinion, I mean, we're just we're we're ripping the bandaid off slowly, right? You know, because no matter what, it's going to eventually affect us all. No matter what, we're all eventually going to get sick with it, or if we haven't already, mm-hmm. uh, it's just like, do we rip it off fast and deal with the herd immunity and just let it happen like we do with the flu every year, or do we rip it off slowly? I don't think we're doing ourselves any favors. Yeah, and every other state, they're open already, right? And so travel's not restricted to the state. So the fact that we're keeping that bandaid on, it's it's even more silly. Like, if we're, everybody was under the same conditions... Maybe it's understandable. It's probably not. But we're the ones that are still closed. Everybody else is open. We have people mm-hmm. going back and forth. I know a family that plays hockey. They're, they're flying the kids to different states to play. It's absurd. Yeah. It's crazy. And they're coming right back. Yeah, speaking of my we're sister, she just took her boys games. to Arizona to play a game. Arizona, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely crazy. We're playing, we're, they're making us play a game. They're making parents spend extra money. They're making these kids jump through hoops. It's It goes back to leadership failures. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times, too, like the the leaders are so, are so deep into this that they can't say, hey, okay, we messed up. Maybe things are a little bit different because there's they it would take away their power to be able to virtue signal and and yeah, I, don't know. I think pride plays a big pride, part of it. Pride you know? is definitely a, a play with, to go uh, back and say, hey, I've destroyed you guys' lives for the last seven months, but I was wrong. No, you're never. Well, gonna you know, that. I think that pride's going to bite. I mean, our governor's uh, it looks more and more like it's going to a recall is going to yeah, happen. he's facing a recall now. For and sure. so uh, you know, and the, and the teachers unions as well, you know, like. You know they're going to get savvy and they're going to put and they're going to pay this high-end um, professor, if you will, to teach. Let's call it you know temporary history, right? Mm-hmm. And they're going to set up a program where they can shoot into thousands and thousands of schools, right? Mm-hmm. So you have the same professor, a thousand thousand schools, and you hire I don't know hall monitors, right? Mm-hmm. Way le- way more less expensive than teachers, right? And then you have a virtual school in 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 the school structure, right? And you have they have to pay one teacher. You don't have to pay five hundred teachers. Yeah. And, th- and, and you that, can pay them two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, a year. you can pay them two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year. Pay them top right. Mm-hmm. Run this stream this program through an app, which is probably gonna is probably already being developed, right? Right. And then you have these adult hall monitors that are paid one tenth of what yeah. teachers are paid, or just parents at home say, "Hey, yeah. get on your app." And and so these teachers they're wielding a lot of power right now, but I think it's gonna I think it's gonna bite them. I don't even think it's the teachers. I think it's the unions because that gives them power and control when they're able to influence these type of issues. I think teachers, man. I think they want to get back. At least, at least the ones I talk to. I think seventy percent of the teachers want to get and back. And I think, to be honest, like for me, my two youngest were still. At, they started distance learning. It's so hard to teach kids. Oh, I know. <laughs> I, I know. think what I think I realized, like, I want to get the teachers back to work, and I want them to get a raise. Yeah. Because that's an impossible job. I did not appreciate until this I think last it's, year. It's one of those things, like being a police officer. You know, you, you don't. Everyone thinks they know how to do your job, and they think they can tell you how to do it. But unless you've actually done it, right? You know, and I think teachers are the same way. I think everyone thinks they know how to be a teacher, but unless you've been in that room oh. for six hours with a bunch of second graders, <laughs> my know, wife like, and I have so much respect for teachers right now because mm-hmm. what I, we couldn't even handle our own kids who we have power over. Like imagine like 20, 30 kids. Like God bless them. I, I think I think the value of teachers has skyrocketed from last year. All right, folks, and we're back. So we're going to transition a little bit. We were talking about the lockdowns and the hardships it's been on the small businesses, but I want to transition. One issue that's been facing Vacaville, um, the town that you're running for city council in, is the homeless population, right? This has been a heated debate. I've seen it all over Facebook where everyone seems to have a different opinion on how to fix the homeless situation. There was, there was a heated debate about, um, what do they call the tiny homes, mm-hmm. um, uh, building shelters, uh, psychological... Or I'm sorry, uh, mental health facilities for them and stuff like that. Um, how, how do you feel? Like, are there any options you think that as a city council member that you can do to at least somewhat help? Or is, or is most of it going to be a problem that the state needs to deal with? Or maybe a combination of both or law enforcement? I mean, how do you feel about all this? Yeah, I think it's a lot. The, the longer term solution is is a combination of things. I think it's the state stepping up and doing their part. I also think the county as well. 
Um, I, the tiny homes issue that was a it was a pretty hot topic for a while because I think it was really poorly planned. I think it was really poorly laid out. Mm-hmm. But I was I love to see the community members who saw it coming to their neighborhoods and was like, whoa, hold on, let's not just let this pass through. So I think we owe a lot to folks in the community who are paying attention to city council meetings, were were paying attention to that issue, and pretty much put a stop to it and pretty much said, whoa, not in our backyard. Like think of the longer term impacts that's going to have on. Our, in our neighborhoods and so I was actually really proud to watch that happen um, it's an issue man it's really an issue I mean because of the weather we have here we're in California it's still great weather but there's times of the year where being homeless is a real it's a real safety issue for them um, back in the city of Vacaville they've done a really good job of opening up spaces for them to, to be mm-hmm. at night I think we do have to look at a, maybe a longer term solution because right now we're lucky not lucky but we're using spaces that are not being used by people community centers and stuff to in a, in a way that's helpful, but that's not going to be around forever. And so we're right. going to have to c- come up with some type of solution. I don't know if that's brick and mortar. I don't know if that's maybe working with other cities in Solano County to come up with some better solutions. But right now we don't we don't have it solved. The thing is, also, it's actually an issue that's not growing. Not I mean, if you look at recent statistics, it's not it's not skyrocketing. Yeah, it's either stabilizing or coming down. Mm-hmm. And I, I was actually it's interesting. I was listening to a real. Um, a recent city council meeting, they're talking about the homeless issue, homelessness issue, and I heard some of the council members say, names, not dropping any names, um, that, hey, you know, these are just people here in our community. These are not people facing substance abuse issues. These are not face- people facing mental health issues. That's not true. Yeah. I mean, I think they've done surveys. Well over half of them admit to having those issues. And so that's a huge part of it. So if we're going to talk about not, I mean, solving it, trying to solve it or work with this, it's to me. It's really is a substance abuse issue. It's a mental health issue that we're not really addressing. So, I was a little, a little disappointed to hear that perspective. I think that's that needs to be part of the conversation as well. Yeah, I think what happens is people romanticize it, yeah. right? They they say, well, I mean, let's be real. If if the issue with homelessness was just providing homes with people, we would have solved it decades ago, yeah. right? It's not necessarily about shelter. You're right. I think it's a mental health issue. I think it's a substance abuse issue. One time I was part of a team that actually did a lot of sweeps. And what we did is we got um, social workers with us and we were just going to sweep through these areas and we were going to basically arrest anyone that had warrants out for their arrest. Mm-hmm. But for most of them, we we're just going to extend services. Say, hey, the county has these services available to you. It's housing assistance. It's AA assistance. It's NA assistance. You know, all these things. We had the social workers with us. Um, and we probably contacted 120 people in one day, and I think about 12 of them accepted services. Yeah. You know, and that's a reality we have to accept, right? I mean, some people, they're not in situations where they can't choose, right? Services are available. Help is available to people. But when all is said and done, you can really only help people who want to help themselves. Yeah. You know, and I think that was one issue that came up with the, uh, the tiny homes. You know, I think the heart's in the right place. But the communities that had success with tiny homes were ones that had a very strict criteria of how to get into these homes, progress that had to be made while you were there. You know, and the idea was to graduate out of them and become independent and, and be able to help yourself. I mean, to me, that's a philosophy, right? I'm always saying what's Brechtner, but like, for me, it's like your heart's in the right place. Cool. But we're not, our, it's not about your heart. It's not about your emotions. It's trying to help our city, the most people, longer term. Mm-hmm. And it, it, the longer term is getting these people out of being homeless. Right. We're not just giving them a place to live. That's a very, very short-sighted solution. And that's where I see a lot of concentration on. Let's just build a homeless shelter. Like, that's not... It needs to be a real combination. And what I'm probably going off topic, but it, I'm real concerned when I hear things like defund the police. I've seen some defund the police programs. A lot of these defund the police programs are taking out these homeless initiatives. And so they're cutting funds from the police who are involved in that, and then nobody else is picking up the slack. And so these right. people are just falling through the cracks even more. So I think that it's all connected to me. Yeah. And I'll say, like, I've worked in government for 10-plus years now. When you actually cut a budget of any sorts... The things that get cut first are the unnecessary things. Now, one thing that people relate to will be schools, right? You cut the school budget, the first things that go are the art and music programs, right? Because they're not essential, so to speak, right? If you cut a police budget, the first programs that go are your homeless outreach, oh. your narcotics programs, your pals, your, your, oh, pals, yeah. your, your exactly. you know, all those things. Those are the, the, the programs that are really the face of police work that do the most positive influence in the neighborhood are the ones that end up getting cut first. 100%. Great example. Last year, I was researching this issue. San, city of San Leandro, they cut, I think it was a $1.7, $1.9 million from their budget as part of the defund the police effort. Mm-hmm. So their city council cuts that. What's one of the first things the police department looks? Well, they can't cut essential services, so they cut their homeless assistance program. Right. A group of officers working with mental health professionals going out, making contact with these people, mm-hmm. seeing what they need, seeing how they can help. 
That's first, one of the first things they cut. Well, guess what? Less than a year later, they have to reinstitute it because nobody else stepped in to take it. The city didn't step in. The county mm-hmm. didn't step in. So they're like, well, oh, this turns out we do need help with this because it does affect crime. It does affect all sorts of issues. Mm-hmm. The city got, ended up getting funding to go in back and do it again. So it's it's kind of sad, the short-sighted approach that you see in some of these cities, just to be just to be woke or just to be look like they're deep. I don't know what they're doing, to be honest with you. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know do doing. they know what they're doing? Yeah, exactly, I mean, yeah. I, there's not a whole lot of logic to the idea of defunding the police because the first people that suffer, of course, will be your homeless, your more poor, your poor neighborhoods, right? The neighborhoods that are riddled with gangs and drugs and that kind of stuff will require multiple officers to go in. If you start cutting back on police, those are the first neighborhoods cops won't go into anymore. Oh, yeah. You know, they, I mean, think like, of the no, folks I'm... who are in that category. I mean, they've done studies. A lot of these folks, I mean, there's a percentage of them are veterans, a large percentage with PTSD. There's a lot of issues in those neighborhoods. You have to be careful when you go mm-hmm. into those those type of the situations, you know. Just sending in a social worker is not the only part of that solution, so. No. And it's not going to work. Because, of, honestly, it's, it's silly, though. Because some agencies have tried that throughout the country, right? They say, well, let's hire social workers to go in and do this. And again, the heart's in the right place, yeah. right? Let's get some mental health trained people to deal with mental health people. Um, but what's the first thing they do? Can I get a cop over here to, to accompany me? Now now taxpayers are paying for two or three people to do the job of one. I think the state's a, the state's to blame a lot, too, because when they when they shut down all these mental asylums and you know, these state-funded yeah. hospitals. That, I think that was that help, Ronald that Reagan ki- back in the 70s, right? Yeah, and they that, shut all killed, stuff. that killed our... Um, because now, now homelessness becomes a crime issue, right? Because right? you can't really deal or interact with them unless they've committed a crime. Mm-hmm. And so now you need the police officers to... And so you take them to jail, they get fed, they get washed real quick, and then they get cited and released, right? And then they're never going to come to court again. So then they get warrants. And then, right. so, you have, so you're dealing with not only... Not only people who are down and out, because I'm sure there's some real people that are just down and out. They lost their houses, they lost their mm-hmm. jobs, and you know they're living in their cars with their children. There's people that definitely are out there that want help, that need help. But you're dealing with a whole bunch more people that are that are mentally incapable incapable of helping themselves. It's a revolving door. And so they utilize, you know, drugs and self medication, mm-hmm. and there's nowhere for them to go and get treatment. You know, and mm-hmm. and the, and so the state needs to. Maybe instead of building all these prisons and stuff, maybe we should r- refund like these mental health asylums or these mental yeah. health hospitals. You know, it's it's you know I, I think that putting making the communities of like a small city like Vacaville or Fairfield or Vallejo or even the counties accountable for for all our mental health needs and is just it's not the way to go. Yeah, I think it goes back to, like, I, what I'm going to get a lot of questions. I talk to a lot of people, like, hey, you know, homelessness comes up, right? Yeah. And they're just like, so, and I get, I don't know, I know they're not fair questions, but we should probably defund the police. Take, let's take some money away from the police. and They shouldn't be involved in that. Let's give it to social workers, mental health workers. Let them address that problem. Mm-hmm. I'm like, that's, you're setting up a complete, it's a well, contradiction. One, that's not your job. It's exactly right. Because the city of Ackville, yeah, I'm sure they have social workers that work for the city of Ackville, mm-hmm. but it's the county that handles all that exactly kind of stuff. Exactly right. It's the county that has all that kind of stuff. And there's counties that have really good programs in place. I want to say um, there's, I mean, there's a few different programs out there of county programs that use state funding as well, I think, from the Mental Health Services Act. They have funding. They, they have a really good collaboration. I think there's some pilots out as well with, you know, they have um, an EMT, they have a social worker or a psychiatric person, mm-hmm. and they have law enforcement involved from the county and the city, depending on what it's part of. And it's like a team. It's a collaborative effort. Mm-hmm. But, like, to me, it's like it's a collaborative effort. We're not taking money away from police to get to them. It's all of us working together. And cities can do it. Just They just got to they gotta be – there's there's best practices out there. Yeah, and, the, and from the, uh, the court side, I mean, I've worked as a bailiff before, <coughs> I've seen this, but – the other thing the state has done is they decriminalized a lot of things, right? Basic drug right. possession, that kind of stuff. And what they did is they took away the power to hold something over somebody. 40%. Because you used to be able to arrest somebody, they'd go through the system, then they'd go to drug court and say, hey, you're going to get help with your drug addiction or, or you're going to be looking at jail time. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of people were like, yeah, I'll get help. Okay, I'll do my thing. You know, But when you decriminalize stuff and remove that kind of element, now people are, not only are they not getting help, but they have no consequence mm-hmm. for not getting help anymore. And that's, or at least you know, a percentage of them, right? Yes. And that mix, along with defunding the police, Prop 47 and all these other mm-hmm. little propositions, and then on top of that, defunding the police. So now you got guys that have literally, I mean, it's hard, it's hard to go to prison nowadays. Like, you have to be off the wall to go to prison. You have to like, be a very violent You have to be a fairly violent dude. With like, a long history. Like a regular... Dude, it's going to take years they, for him. They took everyone out. 
Yeah, every so so there's no consequences. <laughs> kids don't go, kids don't every, listen to that. Yeah, right. <laughs> kids can. Or, well, know, Cal Fire, all the fires had that problem because they lost yeah. a lot of their prison workers. Because right. now the people who are left in prison don't qualify. Well, listen, because, what's the incentive of being? Let's even talk about on the county level. You have these county jails, right? Mm-hmm. And now they're given day for day, no matter what. I mean, if you have a warm pulse, you get day for day. So what's the incentive of going to work in the kitchens? Or what's the incentive of going outside and working the community freeway cleanups and stuff? Yeah. There is none. If I if I can sit in my cell and get the same exact, you know, days off as someone who goes out and works hard and shows it an effort to, you know, to, like, kind of make their lives better, um, you know, it's a no-brainer. They're going to sit in their cell. They're not going to do anything. Why, yeah. why are they going to pick up a... And eat Top Ramen and yeah. mystery meat yeah. sandwiches and, and they're going to do their thing. And half the time, they're not even getting into jail. You know, like... Yeah. So it's, it's it's too bad. Like there's definitely um, there's definitely a, um, a lawlessness that's going on here in California, and the whole defund effort is just. I think people are asking for something they really don't they really don't want. Yeah. You know? Hey folks, a lot of families are fleeing California and just starting new lives for themselves. And my friends Brian and Kim did that a couple years ago and they started a new business. I want you guys to check out Grandma's Pantry Pocatello.com. That's Grandma's Pantry Pocatello.com. Uh, they moved out to Idaho and they started making custom jams and jellies, guys. And they have some great and amazing flavors. Check this out. They got the typical blueberry, they have apple mint jelly, pumpkin spice jam, uh, mint. Uh, pumpkin pie jam, peach habanero, apple pie, nectarine, uh, well, strawberry jam, mango jelly, strawberry jalapeno, cherry jam, sour cherry, blackberry. If you want unique and interesting flavors, especially for the holiday seasons, if you want to impress your guests, um, check it out. Grandma's Pantry, Pocatello.com. Help out my friends Brian and Kim. Great people. So again, Grandma's Pantry, Pocatello.com. <laughs> All right, and we're back. So in the last segment, we were talking about um, defunding the police and what that takes away from them, what it adds. Somebody who I I won't say his name, but is this guy running against you? Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, so someone, one of your opponents there said <clears throat> he had it on a Facebook post, and I had to, like, screen grab and screen grab a screen grab, and it kind of got a little fuzzy. But I think i read it, guys. Hold on. So he basically said the following, and this is his word, so I'm not taking anything out of context, right? Let's be fair. I know this is likely to produce some concerns with the unions. You're, you're on the city level. Okay, sorry. I'll just read it. <laughs> I won't criticize. I'll read it. But a discussion needs to ha- take place in Vacaville. With the call for fu- defunding the police, I think this is important to at least look at the facts and have the discussion. At the end of the day, maybe everyone is on board. Look at the staff report for council, Tuesday, for council Tuesday night. Go to the budget page. In 2017, police budget actual $35 million. Proposed 2020 budget is $42 million. Fire budget actual in 2017 was 25 million. Proposed 2020, 29 million. Increased budget in three years by 11 million dollars in the two departments. Parks and recreation, after school sports, things for kids to do, youth development, after school jobs. 2017 actual budget spent was 6.9 million. 2020 proposed budget 7.7 million. Increased budget of 800 thousand dollars. City spends $71 million on police and fire and $7 million on kids, seniors, and quality of life. Okay, that's the part that stuck out to me. The city spends $71 million on police and fire and $7 million on kids, seniors, and quality of life. Is he comparing apples and oranges here? Yeah, no, he's definitely, he definitely. So I think this, this is interesting, so I had seen that, but I think it just comes <laughs> back to a fundamentally different view of the role of police and fire, public safety mm-hmm. in our community, right? He's... He's looking at it as a line and it's completely separate from Park and Rec. And he's saying they're completely separated. Look, over here is $71 million for public safety. Uh, here, over here is $7.9 for Park and Rec. So they can't be related. That's just a completely different way of looking at the role. They don't do the same thing. They don't do the same thing. I mean, I, I want to see kids and singers have good something cool to do too, but they're not going to take me to the hospital. Right. <laughs> and, but, and, and they are related in this aspect, right? So... When you're paying for police and fire for a city, and we have the best. Vacaville's mm-hmm. got the best. Yeah, I mean, they have great programs. Fantastic programs. Those programs affect seniors. Those program programs support seniors. When seniors call nine one one, there's paramedics now in Vacaville Fire that show up with the engines. I mean, 
there are and within 10 15 minutes i mean they're there quick oh they're way faster yeah. than that i mean in the district i live district two we have station 72 it's the fat it's the most calls out of the whole city mm-hmm. and they're on top of it their response time is amazing and so and I, and I encourage people to go look like hey look at what they actually respond to look at the number of the mm-hmm. calls they're taking it's at least for our district it's growing it's not coming down right and so when they say oh it's going up yeah the need is going up and that's what they have to justify when they ask for these budgets but yeah park and recs do help out seniors they do help out kids they give them great places to play and have a great time but that's 71 million or i'm not even sure of the exact numbers but that number that goes to public safety goes to keeping our kids safe it goes to keeping our schools safe it goes to keeping our neighborhoods safe it goes to making sure there's fire prevention programs in place it goes to ensuring a really rapid response to wildfires i mean it is it does go to our seniors kids and small mm-hmm. families and so the fact that i saw that separate is like that's just a fundamental difference of how we see the role of public safety in our community i see it as pretty much underpinning everything where it's not just a separate line item. So it's a really disappointing. Well, I think, too, that the, that candidate, his, his very last words were, you know, quality of life, right? Well, Vacaville wouldn't have the quality of life it, it has without Vacaville Fire, Vacaville Police. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, you know, there's an abundance of presence everywhere you go. There's there's two or more um, police officers on a stop. You know, they, they got each other's back. There's a safe community. They're... they're stopping burglaries of the outlets all the time they're interacting with our children all the time so that's that's called quality of life the reason why a lot of people move to vacaville and they want to stay in vacaville and raise their children in vacaville and that, that's why i've been there for 30 plus years mm-hmm. is because that's that's the quality of life i want i want the presence and i want the quick response and if that's not i mean <clears throat> i guess the georgia duke center and and the parks and everything that's cool don't get me mm-hmm. wrong. I want a beautiful, a beautifully kept um, city. But, yeah. But I think that the police presence and the fire presence is what keeps it like that. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And so maybe, maybe spending more money on on the budget for the police and fire helps us keep the other budgets lower because we don't have to pay to repair, you know, brick walls every freaking weekend. There's not mm-hmm. graffiti on every it's single vandalism. corner. There's not vandalism. No one's breaking into windows. I mean, think of think about how much money was wasted when we put a fence perimeter around the city in this last vandalism um, thing that happened downtown, right? right? That probably cost the city $20,000, and that's being very conservative, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, to rent that that fence for three weeks and then to come and remove all that spray paint. If if the Vacaville police presence wasn't there, it'd be like that all over the city. Well, the Vacaville police presence wasn't there. I mean, look what San Francisco spends on just removing human feces. Oh, exactly. <laughs> and they're they not going to remove the meals of their children. It's just... A, it's like you have a, a city like San Francisco that's more worried about straws than they are about the needles in, inside the storm drains. Yeah. There's there's no rhyme or reason. It, if it sounds good and it sounds sexy, then that's what people want. But if you're really, truly talking about a quality of life, and this candidate appears to be talking about quality of life, then then you, you can't have that quality of life that we're used to without police and fire. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head. By investing in your police and your fire, you are investing in kids, right? <laughs> because you're getting rid of those drug dealers and pushing gang programs and stuff mm-hmm. to help these kids grow up in America. You are invest, investing in seniors, making sure that... Because it happens all the time. One of the most common calls out here over the radio is lift assist, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Somebody falls down, they need help getting up. Fire and route to this address for a lift assist. Fire and route to this address for a lift assist, right? I mean, that's investing in your seniors. By having firefighters that are ready and available, not a volunteer guys that are going to take 20 minutes just to get to the station, start the trucks and go, but guys who are there around the clock, who are five minutes around the corner, whatever, that's great. You know, that's a great thing to have, and that's a well-run city well, when you have that available. Well, here's another point, too. I mean, we're, we've all been in law enforcement here. We, You know, we get these... Um, you, you have to, in order to be, um, most cops want to work in a, in a place like Vacaville, right? Because yeah. it's a great place to work where there's, you get a lot, plenty of backup, you get great benefits, you know what I mean? And we all know on a national level that cops, you know, I can't really speak for firemen because I don't know that right now, but statistically we have, you know, three to seven years to live once we retire. If we can, mm-hmm. ma- if we make the full 30 years and we retire with a full pension, uh, let's call it 90% or whatever it is, I think it's less now. We have three to seven years to, en- to enjoy that retirement that we've earned, right? Yeah. And and the Parks and Recs crew, they're going to live 25 years after they retire, you know, maybe mm-hmm. 20 years. You're talking about funding um, lifetime medical for cops, and that's being, like, overspending and, and so terrible. But these cops have, have sacrificed literally old age 
in return, firefighters in California as well. I mean, if you start to look at digging into like the, the studies that they're starting to do about all the continual firefighters issues, cancer, right, other type, PTSD, the sulfur they probably breathe. They're in. they're mm-hmm. starting to see a real uptick in those types of issues, and so like, right, it's not just so 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 to compare city departments like that is unfair. Right, you know, you have these firemen and these in these these police officers that are literally sacrificing their health and their their. You know, statistically, they, they all know when they when they put on that magic gun that there's a chance they're not going to come home. There's just all kinds of things that, that are mitigating factors into this, and, and it's it, not it, fair to compare Parks and Recs. And the point's well taken, right. though. It's expensive, right? To, it is. I mean, you. I always go back to, like, and we all know that people who've lived, who've run businesses, who you do get what you pay for. And right. that's just, that's the underpins everything, everything, right? And it is expensive, right? If we want the best firefighters and police officers mm-hmm. we're going to need to pay for it because if not they're going to go somewhere else and so for me it's like instead of like trying to look to ways to cut it and un, like to detract from what makes Vacaville such a cool place and a great place and a safe place it's like let's focus that energy on bringing in more revenue like let's go after that like so that's that is attainable there's plans that are out there which that, brings us right back to small businesses right exactly. making it easy instead to of, open and have right. a small business in town well that's the problem with with you know, like you earlier said that, you know, I ruffle some feathers and stuff. The problem is that that when law enforcement serves a small business that's the most pro-small business, pro-law enforcement and fire small business in all of town, mm-hmm. and they serve uh, uh, any business, whether it be my barbershop or any other business that's very, um, full of good people that are working hard, that are trying to make ends meet. When they're, the, when they're utilized, I think the police should have never been utilized. But when they are utilized and... Those businesses blasted out like, "Hey, I just got served a cease and desist by our very own back of PD, who we yeah. we support, who are our clients. They're, you know, I used to work in that field. These are my brothers, right? So it's like they they burn the candle from both ends because now you have like citizens that don't like cops that are always yeah. there's always going to be that, right? But now you're now you have the good citizens like, wait a minute, why are they doing that? Why are they being utilized to do that? Why? And so so it's not that." Small businesses like mine were looking to ruffle feathers with law enforcement. We definitely don't. I'm I'm the number one supporter of law enforcement. You know, I think um, these guys should get everything that they have coming, mm-hmm. right? And, and and all good things too. But but I'm also I also remember like, hey, I swore an oath when I was a cop to uphold the Constitution, and that seemed like a very unconstitutional thing to do to go and try to shut down businesses. And and I think that it's just a struggle to 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 maintain a small business and, and live in a community like Vacaville, but, and then, and then when the, when the city of Vacaville's police officers show up at my shop, it's, it's almost like an oxymoron. Like what, you yeah. know, what, for me, I think it was a frustrating situation for everyone. You know, I don't yeah. even, for me, I don't even see this as, as a police issue for not a particular issue when it comes to small business. I think it's a city leadership. It's county health, county leadership, state leadership issue. I mean, these law enforcement police officers, they work for chief of police. Who does the chief of police work for? Mm-hmm. He works for politicians at the end of the day. That's right. what he works yeah. for, City right? manager. Who's city the manager. Yeah, yeah. And, he, right. and, they, and they're so direct they're employees of the city council, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a really it's a real chain reaction of events. And so for me, that's who I hold responsible. I hold city leadership, county, mm-hmm. state leadership. Those are the folks who, <coughs> who should have stood up for small businesses when they when they had the opportunity and they didn't. Yeah. So, right, and it probably would not have been a big deal to call up the chief and be like, "Hey, look, I, I understand what California, or I understand what the state's saying. I understand that. Please don't enforce this stuff. I can't make you not do it because it is." I mean, they learned they, a lesson. They, they, they did. Have, <laughs> they, have, they have sanctuary states. Let's talk about pre-COVID. There's been sanctuary cities. I mean, right. San Francisco is a sanctuary city, right? It's just they chose to use their sanctuary as like, "Hey, look, you know, if you're arrested and you're illegal and you're, we're not going to put a hold on you, right? That's, mm-hmm. But if they find you and they catch you, that's on you, right? Right. Um, same." Same thing. Like, why not utilize it for good American citizens? Like, hey, look, you're a small business. You're 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 um, licensed by the state. If the state wants to take action on you, you know that that's that's between you and the state. But we, as a city, we're gonna, you know, me as the mayor, me as the council members, me as the chief of police, and whoever the managers are, the city managers and lawyers, and they should have been like, hey, look, we're not gonna go after unconstitutionally really go after small businesses that are just doing what they're allowed legally to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And they were silent. I mean, a lot of these council members, a lot of these county supervisors, a lot of these state delegates, and they were quiet. They didn't stand up when they had the chance. And for me, like part of the reason I'm even running is because I I was talking so much trash, like, hey, man, they should have stood up and said something. That's why I was like, hey, if you're going to say, you know, put your money where your mouth is, like, Try yeah. to get into a role where you have 
the power to stand up and say something. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, courage is contagious, right? You get the one person that stands up and says, hey, that's wrong. You watch how many people will suddenly stand up with them and be like, I, I'm with this guy. Well, you know, and even 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 with the city, like, so we stood up. We stood our ground. We, we you know, we weren't trying to be, you know, as I, I think a lot of people were, like, thinking that my brother and I were trying to be, like, really anti the city and we could do whatever the heck we want. That's mm-hmm. not our, that wasn't our stance. Our stance was like, hey, we're just going to hold our ground. We're just going to yeah. allow our barbers to work and make money. We're going to provide for our families and we're going to feed them because we already know there's no help coming. There's right. no help, and if we don't, then we're going to lose these businesses. And we've invested a lot of money in a short period of time, and into building primos. So I mean, not just primos. Look at all the other businesses. There's businesses that have gone. They will never go back. They'll never open up again. They're gone forever. Yeah. I mean, you see it every week. There's a new like, and people are like, "Oh my god, yeah, this is this has a real impact on impact on people's lives." And it's, and sad, it's really yeah. Sad. And so standing up did create courage for other small businesses. Mm-hmm. And also, and also, I think my brother Joe's right. Like. The city of Echo, at some level, learned their lesson. They're like, okay, we're not. We went after Primos, and that just didn't pan out, right? We're not going to go right. after anyone anymore. Mm-hmm. We might not. We'll take the calls and we'll send the warnings, but we're not going to send police anymore. We're not going to send fire anymore. We're just going to try to do it. To the, yeah, and, and so unfortunately for me, I our shots became kind of the sacrificial lambs that took the brunt, and then everyone else kind of got the pass. But as long as you know, I, I think that standing up isn't always about yourself. It's about What's right? Yeah, and I, I feel bad for the police officers because I've been there too. Mm-hmm. You get you get caught mm-hmm. in that rock and hard place, you know, because mm-hmm. you, you know the Constitution, you know this is wrong, you know this is not an enforceable law. Okay, some letter from the governor's office is not something I can enforce. Right. Okay, but you get there and you're like, when all is said and done, I do have mouths to feed, right? I have a mortgage mm-hmm. to pay. Oh yeah. You know, and so I think I, when this all started, I remember I was still working patrol and I told my boss straight up, I was like, hey, don't don't ask me to serve anything because I'm not, I don't want to do it. Okay, I don't want to do it. I think it's unconstitutional. It's wrong. I don't want to do it. Now, obviously, a push came to shove. I'd, I'd probably very apologetically be like, look, I'm so sorry. Right. They're making me drop this off. I don't care if you read it or not. I got to go. You know? Exactly. Like, like yeah. I think that'd be my attitude about right, it, you right. know? Um, but yeah, I did not I did not like it. I did not think highly of any police officer that was willing or voluntarily like, yeah, sure, I'll take on that task. You know, I, I was not good with it. And it was my understanding was a lot of police chiefs and sheriffs throughout the state were, they weren't very vocal about it, but internally they had sent out memos or whatever, just kind of let everyone know word of mouth. We're not enforcing this crap. Right. You know, we can't enforce this crap. I mean, you heard about that poor kid in Lodi who got fired because he got he wouldn't serve, you know, cite these these businesses. I mean, you heard there definitely was law enforcement officers that were like, whoa, whoa They're this, trying. Is, this yeah. is not right. You know, and, and they some of them had consequences and some of them working for good departments that, that knew better. Yeah, you know? some some just went through the motions. I remember overhearing a different agency because we scanned other agencies. But I remember these guys got dispatched to a restaurant because somebody called and said they weren't practicing social distancing. So they, I hear the officers kind of they on the radio, you know, hey, we're, we're on scene. We go, they go in. Everything's fine here. You know, <laughs> they leave. You know, and I don't know what they saw. Yeah. But they probably didn't see anything that they cared about or anything that they could enforce. I think I th- I hope people learned from the last year that local – elections local stuff matters mm-hmm. because if you have let's say you have a, a city where a sheriff's willing to stand up who's locally elected by a county he's going to will up and say no not in my city not my county it's not going to happen <coughs> right. that matters all the so all the businesses in that county can be like yeah you know what i mean and then in a city the city council and the mayor are willing to say hey not in our city we're going to support the chief of police in his stance to say not in our city mm-hmm. that is huge and so I hope people will start to pay attention. Like that stuff matters when you yes. when you can only do so much in the state. I mean, you can we're, we're doing something right now, but local well, does and, matter. And then and then you know, and that's the problem I have with um, uh, politicians right now. It's like there's so I think there's so many local level, state level, county level, all the way up to the presidential level. Right, everyone's so worried about their next campaign that they're unwilling to stand up for their constituents and their constituents. You know, because like oh, because I could I could easily see you know. The mayor of Backville being like, man, we got to do something. Wanda, you know, Primo's just went on on the air. That's and he yeah. said Vacaville, and I mean, you guys are on Tucker Carlson, yeah, right? You guys yeah, national. If we don't do something like the governor's going to stop funding us, and we're going to lose that, you know, like whatever money we have. And yeah, this guy. So I can see, I can see the dilemma, but I can also see that that's a great opportunity to have courage, right? To lead from the front, right? And to have your constituents backs. Especially mm-hmm. constituents that are, you know, we're Marine Corps veterans, we're former law enforcement officers, mm-hmm. you know, we're very pro-police, pro-fire, pro-city of Vacaville. You know, why why wouldn't you stick your, your head out and be like, whoa, 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 we're not going to go after our small city 
business owners. You know what I mean? You know. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're going to be the face of a rebellion, why not be? The, why not let your small business owners be the face of your rebellion? You know, right, and say, right. hey, look, I got to stand up for these guys. And there's some groups starting to, to organize and stand up. Right, there's like some Unite Solano is a great one. They're starting to like bring in like-minded businesses in the area. They're like. Let's just educate ourselves on the way we can do business, mm-hmm. stay open, figure things out together. So it's, it's I think it created a whole new ecosystem in business, small businesses that's pretty positive. Good. All right, well, wrapping this up, is there anything you want to add? You want to sell yourself a little bit? Yeah, man, let me sell myself. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so District 2, if, if anybody in the Vacaville area is listening, it's a new district. There's no incumbent for this district. It's an open election. It's a special election. Um, there's three candidates. I'd ask people just to check me out. Don't don't vote me just because you like law enforcement or whatever particular issue. I have a lot of different issues that I care about. Um, my website's desmaris4vacaville.com. That's the number four, vacaville.com. I've got plenty of videos. I've got plenty of information on there. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook. You'll see a couple things. You're going to see, A, I'm pro-law enforcement, I'm pro-public mm-hmm. safety. I'm pro-small businesses. I'm not afraid to say what I stand for. Um, I really believe it's not being a politician, it's being a representative. That means saying what you believe in, regardless of the consequences. Might get me a little bit of trouble, but we'll see. And um, <laughs> Well, I think and, people like that. I think people who like politicians who are bold and say what they mean. Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I don't need this. Right. I, I have, I, so in my private life, I'm, I'm a director of security emergency management for a multi-billion dollar um, biotech company. I, I'm okay there. You know, I've got benefits from my family. We're, we're taken care of. I don't need to be putting myself out there. But I right. think it's important for people who are in those positions to stand up for others as well. And so I, it's a lot more work than I anticipated. Um, but I'd also ask people, like, look who works the hardest. Look who cares the most. Look who's willing to go to every single door in the district of 5,000-plus residences and ask them what's important to them. And there's really, I'm, I'm the only one doing that. Right. And so if you're looking for someone who really cares about the issues and is not just saying it to get a vote, then I think it's pretty evident that's me. So, yeah. All right, so vote for Joe. Yep, vote for Joe. (laughs) All right, folks, this is the Serving the Peace podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us live if you're joining us live. Uh, And that's it. That's a wrap. I don't really have a way to close the show. I never really figured one out. Yeah, no song? No, no. No no song, song. no, no, nothing. Maybe I'll throw something there eventually. All right, sweet. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. It was cool.